Each year, 40 to 60% of American adults suffer from chronic back pain at a cost that's exponentially growing. Might we work harder at preventing back problems? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stuart McGill. Dr. McGill is a professor of spine biomechanics and is the chair of the Department of Kinesiology at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada. He's been the author of over 200 scientific journal papers that address the issues of low back function, injury prevention and rehab, and performance training. Collectively, this work has received numerous scientific awards. He sits on the editorial boards of the journal Spine, Clinical Biomechanics, and the Journal of Applied Biomechanics. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. McGill. Oh, thank you, Leslie. You've done so much work on how to prevent back problems. Fill us in. Well, I was originally trained as a biomechanist, and I would, for some reason or another, docs would begin to send patients to me, asking me for an opinion. And I would assess the patients and speak with them and find out what they have been told about preventing their own back troubles. And it was either absent or they were told a couple of things. One was, oh, well, if I'm going to lift, bend the knees and keep the back straight, or if I'm going to lift something, lift it slowly and smoothly. But as a biomechanist, these didn't make sense. For example, you would never tell an athlete to do something slowly and smoothly to preserve their joints. They use all kinds of athletic skills to spare their joints. They transfer momentum from one part of a body to another and use very sound Newtonian principles like this. And yet we were telling people never lift, only lift slowly and smoothly. Well, you can imagine reaching across a table and lifting 40 pounds slowly and smoothly. It would be very stupid to do. So I started to systematically try and formalize the mechanical principles after we'd done about 20 years of trying to understand what the injury mechanisms were. So the primary mechanism for discogenic back pain is spine bending. So then the instruction would be be careful about how you're bending your back. Bend your hips instead. So let's replace that idea of of bend your knees and keep the back straight. You might want to stoop over. You might want to squat depending on the external mechanics of the task. If it's a heavy, dense object, of course, get it between your legs and, and squat. But if it's a large object like a television set, you can't squat down over it. You might stoop over it, but flex at the hips and not your back. Another phenomenon that we and several other groups have found, by the way, is you realize there's a diurnal variation to disc hydration. You're taller in the morning than when you went to bed at night. Well, Mike Adams, colleague and biomechanist in Britain, measured the stresses on the disc when you first wake up in the morning and bend your spine to put your socks on. Those stresses are three times higher than when you took your socks off the night before. It's like a water balloon ready to burst, you know, if you fill a balloon with water. So these superhydrated discs are particularly vulnerable to bend early in the morning. So don't get up in the morning and do your sit-ups and some of these bending regimens. Although it feels good, there is a great paradox. When you bend in the morning and pull your knees to your chest and whatnot, it fires off the stretch receptors in the erector spinae muscle, which gives immediate feedback to your proprio system, which says, ah, that feels good. 
not realizing that you're replicating the mechanism of injury, creating those hydraulic stresses to increase the disc bulge even more underneath, which was causing the muscles to spasm in the first place. So do you see how what your body perceives isn't really addressing the underlying mechanism of injury. So that would be another instruction. Be very careful how you bend your back early in the morning. There are all sorts of thoughts on stabilizing your spine. Patients will say, I bent over, tied my shoe. I heard it pop, and now I'm here to see you in the office. And I've had to explain that as a mechanism of injury to different compensation boards and whatnot. Uh, It's certainly a real injury, but usually it's an instability. If we have time to paint this one visual image, you can imagine a fishing rod upright with the butt on the ground. If you placed a couple of ounces on the tip of the fishing rod, it would bend and buckle very quickly. But if you could attach guy wires to that fishing rod and attach them to the ground all around the rod and tighten them, then you could apply hundreds of pounds to that tip of the fishing rod and it wouldn't bend or buckle. Why I'm saying that is your spine will buckle with 20 pounds of compressive load on it. In other words, it can't even support your upper body weight until you activate the muscles around your spine acting like those guy wires to give it stiffness and stability. So people, when they bend over to pick up a pencil or tie their shoe, they need a certain amount of muscular and ligamentous stiffness to prevent that buckling injury that I'm describing. Twisting has been given a really bad rap, shall we say. I know many medical colleagues, when they're filling out medical report forms, they're sometimes a little unsure what the mechanism is, but somehow it gets written down, oh, twisting caused this bad back. And yet, there's a great distinction between twisting, which is the physical act of twisting your spine around, and creating twisting torque. An example of that might be is your spine is not twisted, but you're at work and you're opening up a big round water valve or turning a wheel without power steering. Do you know what I mean? You're creating twisting torque and effort, but you're not twisted. Those are two entirely different things. Creating twisting torque when you're neutral and with proper muscle buttressing that torque, it's not a problem for the back many times. Likewise, light twisting is not really problematic for the back. What's problematic is when you add those two together. So when you are twisted, which weakens the disc, then you apply a large twisting torque. That's the one that damages the disc. So avoid the combination of twisting and uh, twisting torque. Another one is simply avoid prolonged sitting, which causes prolonged flexion to the low back and will bend the discs over time, and you will have discogenic back problems. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stuart McGill, author of Ultimate Back Fitness and Performance. We are discussing the prevention of back pain. Dr. McGill, you've done some very interesting work with NBA players. Tell us about that. I think my work with other types of athletes is much more interesting, but here was the situation. Obviously, uh, basketballers are tall, and I was asked to see a few who had clearly flexion-intolerant discogenic back pain, and they were sitting on benches and chairs made for people my size, a normal size, and basically they were sitting with their knees in their ears and their spine fully flexed. 
they would warm up for the game, and then the first team would play for 15, 12, 18 minutes or so while the second team would sit on the bench. During the time that they sat on the bench, their spines stiffened into that flexed posture and actually caused the hydraulic scenario for more disc damage. And then they would stand up right away and have some awful task like having to box out uh, Shaq O'Neal or some dominant player like that. So again, it wasn't rocket science. But what we learned there is you cannot expose a player to that type of damaging stress. So obviously a chair, much, much taller, angle the seat fan forward, which opens up the hips and allows the preservation of a more neutral low back or neutral lordosis in their spine, avoids these damaging hydraulic stresses. And then prior to them jumping back into the game, if they are flexion intolerant, certainly get up and pace uh, a little bit and try and precondition the disc so they can get going on their uh, particular shift. Now, how about those of us that aren't in the MBA, but we spend most of our day sitting? What should we think about in our own lives in terms of choice of chair or any other sitting postural dynamics? Yeah, well, a lot of issues there. But first and foremost, try and plan your day to break up the prolonged sitting if you have to speak on the phone. Are you sitting or standing right now? I'm sitting. Me too, but we both should be standing. Uh, Actually, when the phone rings in my office, that's my cue to stand. So to get out of the chair, there's nothing better. Having said that, people often ask me, well, what's a good chair? What should we buy? And my answer to that is a chair that is very adjustable. There's no ideal sitting posture. There's an ideal sitting posture for 10 minutes. But that's it, because no matter what posture you sit in, you're loading specific tissues in your back. And the only way you migrate the load from one tissue to another is through posture change. So we can talk about sitting cross-legged and that sort of thing with what it does. It tightens the pelvic ring. It tends to reduce the abdominal wall activity. There's no substitute either for most kinds of backs. Now, I'm not talking about the stenotic extension intolerant back, but again, the more common working back of a younger population. Many of them would do better if they had a lumbar support in their lumbar region to avoid those hydraulic stresses that lead to disc bulges. What about options like the big exercise balls to sit on or those backless chairs where you sort of kneel? Are those any better? Well, we've certainly measured both of those. And the chairs where you kneel in, if you wear a skirt, they're rather hard to get in and out of. There's the whole psychological overlay in that the height of your chair back signifies your status within an organization. So a chair with no back has no status. So I was told by my psychological colleagues, the front of your shins, which bear load in the kneeling chairs, aren't made to bear load. And people's shins were starting to complain. And the other thing is, without the backrest, you did adopt a more neutral spine, which was perceived as comfortable by many types of flexion intolerant backs initially, but it requires much more static muscle activity. And after an hour or two, they were getting worn out. So can I summarize that whole thing by saying it might be a nice option for a temporary respite? sit in one for half an hour and then go back to your regular chair. The same thing with sitting on a gym ball, by the way. But 
interestingly enough, I've been asked now, I think, to be an expert witness. And I can immediately recall two cases where workers have rolled off their gym ball. One had quite heavy neurological damage and the other tore up a rotator cuff. So things that you don't think about. But again, they will give some relief as a temporary option, but I would certainly not recommend someone sit on a ball all day. Well, thank you so much for enlightening us today. This is Dr. Leslie Lunt. I'm sitting while interviewing Dr. Stuart McGill. We've been talking about evidence-based prevention of lower back disorders. You can find more information on his website, www.backfitpro.com. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For a complete program guide and downloadable podcast, visit our website at www.reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. 